Howdy, y'all. Chris here with another installment of the Make It podcast. And, you know, people ask me, Chris, I want to make a film. How can Bonsai Creative help? Well, uh, you know, as advisory producers and growth hackers, we can help in many ways. Uh, But, you know, we find the one thing that is consistently missing from indie film budgets is branding and marketing spend. And that's where we come in because we can develop strategies that help you answer some of the more pressing branding and marketing questions like what makes your film attractive to buyers? Do you know your audience? Does your audience know you? And what relatable word or trend or product can your film hook into? Right. So that's the answer to that question. And, and if you'd like these and many other questions answered, well, you know what to do. Go to HTTPS forward slash forward slash colon bonsai dot film. Or you could just type in bonsai dot film. You don't have to do all that other stuff. So B-O-N-S-A-I dot film. Uh, do that today. And when you go there, you can schedule a free discovery call. Remember, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain when you do that. And now on to today's podcast guest. On this episode, we have a conversation with Leslie Powers. Leslie is a narrative filmmaker based in Los Angeles. She is currently a judge for the 2019 Circle City Film Festival, a former panel coordinator for the Bentonville Film Festival, and a Nashville Film Festival 2015 Horizon Award nominee for her first short film, Mr. Johnson's Julius Caesar. She was also recognized as the winner of Best Director, Best Short, and Audience Award at the 2017 Middle Tennessee 54-Hour Film Festival. Currently, Leslie is gearing up to direct her sixth, yes, sixth short film, And it's titled Thunder Thighs about a young girl who is obsessed with the non-existent gap in her thighs. Her comedic short, uh, as if that wasn't the one, her comedic short, Make Yourself at Home, is in post-production. And her dramatic short, Drafted, is currently on the festival circuit. Her short, Downline, premiered at the Nashville Independent Film Festival and the Rendezvous Film Festival in Florida in early 2018. Leslie is a graduate of Indiana University and paid homage to her hometown of Indianapolis by naming her production company Naptown Entertainment, which you can now follow on Instagram at Naptown Entertainment. Leslie's goals include directing for a single cam television show, directing her first feature film by 2020, continuing to write original content, and growing her production company to eventually mentor up-and-coming female filmmakers. And now, without further ado, I give you the only person I know that could spill a cup of boiling hot coffee down your shirt and still get your digits. You'll get the reference later. I give you filmmaker Leslie Powers. You're listening to Make It podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley.
everyone. My name is Leslie Powers, and I'm a filmmaker, director, and on-camera host for AfterBuzz TV. You might know me from short films such as Mr. Johnson's Julius Caesar and Downline, most currently Drafted, which is on the festival circuit. I was also a co-producer on the feature film Wild Man. And next weekend, I'm shooting my fifth short film, Make Yourself at Home. That is awesome, awesome, <laughs> awesome. So uh, I am super pumped about this because um, I don't know if people know this, but I think you might have been maybe in our first five original recordings of this. So, so for people that don't know the background of the make it podcast used to just be me going all around the country, interviewing people that I met in the creative community, literally on a sort of a a handheld recorder from my days in journalism school and my days (laughs) in journalism, and then taking them back and transcribing them and, and and trying to provide those insights to the community. And that little thing sort of grew into this podcast, but you were one of my first interviews um, that we did. That was back when your last name was Surdy. Uh, That's how long it's been. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's how, that's how long it really has been. Um, So for you to come back on means the world to me. And uh, I'm so glad that we, just have this cool friendship and cool professional relationship and in, in that we've stayed in touch all these years. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I don't even remember what you asked or what I said. So I hope I've grown since then. Oh, you don't want to know what you said. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it was fine. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You, you, didn't, you didn't say anything too bad. Good. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Of course, of course. And, and, you know, you got your, uh, start, um, in the Midwest, in Indiana, um, mm-hmm. graduated, you, fil- you studied film and TV uh, at Indiana University, and then uh, took the big risk to go out to California, um, to LA. And I'm just wondering what your family said when you told them you were going to do that. Was that always the plan? Uh, did you get pushback? Were they surprised you were doing it so quickly? Um, what were What were some of the obstacles you had to overcome? Well, I think my parents knew from a very early age how much I loved film and TV. It was borderline obsession growing up. So I don't think it was a big surprise I wanted to go. Um, It wasn't always the plan. I originally wanted to go to Chicago because that's where all of my college friends were going. It was the closest big city, so it just made sense. You know, nobody wanted to be too far from home. But for me, I had super big dreams, and I felt like Chicago wasn't big enough. And so when I just told my parents I was doing it, I had a sorority sister who lived out here in LA and she said, I have this big master bedroom and a roommate. We can share a room. It'll be super inexpensive. I'll help you get settled. And that made my parents feel a lot better because they knew her. And so I saved up for a summer and I actually moved on my niece's birthday. So my mom was just a wreck mm-hmm. at the airport. Um, I mean, she was happy for me, but I definitely got a lot of those phone calls my first year in LA of, when are you coming back? (laughs) (laughs) I miss you. Um, And I think it was the hardest on her. My dad is much more of the dreamer type. Mm. My mom is much more pragmatic. So I think he was very much go, go, go. And she was like, go, but come back whenever you decide you want to. 
and I never did. So <laughs> she's kind of given up on that dream. Good. That's great. And were your parents uh, in the creative field? Oh, Did- not at all. My dad was in sales growing up. He bounced around to a million jobs. and but He's creative in the way that he loves music. He actually plays in a band. He plays guitar in a band. So it's very cool to see him do that. And then my mom ran a daycare. She always loved babies and you know, it's kind of in, in our family. My sister worked at one and now she's a social worker. So I'm kind of the black sheep in that sense. I get a little from my dad, but nobody, literally nobody in my extended family. I have a cousin who is, you know, works at an art gallery, but that's about as close as it gets. Yeah. It sounds almost exactly like, uh, the background of Claire Danes. Oh, interesting. I love her. You look up her bio and it's almost the same. (laughs) Well, I love my so-called life, so maybe we are kindred spirits, Claire Danes and I. That would be that would be good. Yeah, she's yeah. she's uh, incredibly good um, oh. to, to the point where um, you don't pay attention to it anymore. That's when it gets really crazy. Like when someone's so good and and so consistent that you just stop noticing that they're that good and consistent. You sort of overlook them because we're so as a as a culture yeah. we're so interested in in what's new. Um, What's the fresh face? What's the fresh idea? And, Absolutely. And we can like look over someone who's dedicated their life to a particular craft and is just excellent at it. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what sorority were you a part of? Or are you a part of? Kappa Delta. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Do you have any sorority calls? What do you mean by calls? Like, um, like uh, a song? Like, yeah, don't, don't sorority, every sorority kind of have something they say, like, uh, to each other. Um, yes, and I'm totally being a bad sister cause I'm blanking on it. I mean, we have like a, <laughs> a, we had a handshake, we had a, a knock and then, um, oh my God, I would have to look, I'd have to look back super far. I, I graduated a long time ago, not to age myself, um, but yes, we had we had a saying, and now I'm blanking on it. I mean, I remember the songs, but I would not torture the audience with singing anything. So, um, but I loved my time in the sorority. It was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful women all yeah. over the country. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I am curious because you are a renowned uh, fan girl of Sex in the City. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Was, was that was was loving that show being obsessed with that show part of how you fell in love with film? Was it the reason or or if not, what was the moment where you said, where you, you mentioned earlier that you just became obsessed with it. Like what what Mm -hmm. was that moment? Was it sex in the city related or something else? Some other movie or show sex in the city came later. Um, I, I saw the movie Grease when I was 11 years old at a, a neighborhood friend's house. And she was like, I have to show you this movie. And I was kind of skeptical because I was 11. So I was like, what is this? And we watched it and I could not, I could not stop. I begged my mom to get it for me for Christmas. I, I probably watched it 500 times. I just thought it was mesmerizing mm-hmm. that they could sing. I, I, Olivia Newton-John was just like this beautiful creature to me and, John Travolta was so charismatic. I just, of course, at that point, I didn't know like what went into making something like that. I just knew it was awesome (laughs) that I wanted to keep watching it. So of course my mom got it for me for Christmas and I wore out the VHS. And so I think at that moment I was kind of like, whatever they're doing, I want to do that. But I didn't really know what that was. 
until I really, until I got to college. Um, but like Beverly Hills, 902, when I was a big show, I watched, um, mm-hmm. my so-called life was a huge influence on me at that kind of teen stage. And then as far as films go, I mean, my, my aunt was a manager at a movie theater in town. So we got movies for free. We got to go to movies for free. So That's I saw awesome. everything. <clears throat> yeah, it was awesome. So I remember seeing scream for the first time and being like, that is so much fun. Like whatever, they must be having so much fun. And that's what I always have thought about this career is that it must just be so much fun to hang out with people your own age and to just make people laugh and entertain people. And I, and I think it was also like the movie Clueless, I thought was, that was another obsession of mine. I remember in my senior book in college, I don't know if you made those, but you can like kind of scrapbook your mm-hmm. high school career together. And in the back page of that is nothing but cutouts from Clueless and Beverly Hills 90210. So it's like those two were pretty big uh, in my zeitgeist back then. I'm so glad you mentioned the word fun because for all the challenges and advice and co- consultation and you know all the community that you need to have a, a long-lasting career uh, in, in film and in the creative life in general – it's important that we mention that the reason you do it is because it's a hell of a lot of fun. It's yep. a really good time. And it's, it's a fun way to wake up and live your life. And, and we probably don't mention it enough, even, even on this podcast, but that's the reason because you, you love it and it's just going to be so much fun working with people and creating something from nothing, actually just from an idea in your head. Um, Absolutely. Oh, for sure. So here's a quick 90210 story for you, by the way. And so, oh, yes. and Love by that. the way, and by the way, this is kind of what happened um, uh, in the era that we sort of grew up in. Um, so your Greece. So my sister Michelle, who's a couple of years older than me, she absolutely loved Greece as well. Uh, loved Greece as well. Excuse me. Uh, but her big ones were dirty dancing, and girls just want to have fun. Mm-hmm. And then for me, it was, it was Princess Bride and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So we, <laughs> nice. <laughs> right. So we would end up watching a lot of the movies together. So I have an older sister that's a little bit older than both of us. So her experience was completely separate from ours. But we'd watch all these movies together. So we started, it felt like we discovered 90210. Yep. And growing up in Nashville in the 90s, it's, I mean, it's a much bigger town now. Like back then, we're talking about, this is a small town, right? Nashville wasn't that big, like maybe 500,000 people, right? Um, uh, At at most, right? So when we would go to school, we would talk about the show we were watching and no one was watching it. No one. Really? And we were like, dude, you guys need to watch 90210. You need to watch 90210. And my sister was like a cheerleader and like, like actually the captain of the cheerleading squad. She was like the star soccer player. Um, she, she, she's like a record holder in cross country. Like she was like everything. Right. Um, I was nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, um, so we had come to the conclusion because it started getting popular. Like it was getting renewed for uh, new seasons and like suddenly everyone was watching it and we're like, did we do this? Did we, <laughs> did we start this ripple effect? Yeah, did, were we the sto- were we the first stone in the ocean or in the pond that that created this ripple effect? And we were convinced, like for a year, we're like, oh yeah, that's a show we made popular. Um, that's amazing. We would live inside these little delusions like that, and like we were also pretty certain we make clearly Canadian 
popular. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> the, the sparkling water. Because I'm telling you, Leslie, no one was drinking it. That is Me true. and my sister started drinking it in Nashville, and all of a sudden, everybody's drinking it. You guys were influencers. You were Instagram influencers before it was even a thing. Yeah, we didn't get $1 for it. <laughs> but that's so funny you mentioned that because I feel like I feel like now I'm that person for my family and friends who aren't in the industry. Is there, what are you watching? Should I go see this? What's yeah. good on Netflix? Like I've kind of, be, you know, Wes and I both, I guess, have kind of become those, those people. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. And that's that's kind of um, takes you back to some thing, uh, some advice or comment that Terry uh, Jingles made, who's a director out in L.A., was saying, you know, whoever you present yourself as, that's how people are going to treat you. So, um, you know, that's who we are in our families. So they're going to come to us and expect that we're going to know what's hot and what's fire and what's good, what's not, et cetera, um, which is exactly. fine. So one thing about you is that you're a super hard worker and, um, you came out of college, went to LA. I think your first credit was, uh, a show called dirty friends. Is that right? (laughs) It was was a web series. Right. What, uh, did that get shot in the Midwest or was that out in LA when you did dirty friends? Well, my friend Xander, who I worked with at a restaurant out here, one of my one of my many restaurant jobs, and we're still friends to this day. He's a wonderful writer. Um, he and his friends created this web series called Dirty Friends, and they kind of brought every server, every waiter, bartender at this restaurant, and they were like, "Do you guys want to be in this thing?" <clears throat> Which is what you have to do when you have no money is you know pull from whatever resources you have. And so we did this web series. I was only in one episode. And then they also did a movie called apples and oranges where I played an annoying party girl, but my whole part was improv. Mm -hmm. So I had just improv and I got it on the first take, which is really fun. Um, so I did those two projects with them here in LA and those were my first two credits. Yeah. Gotcha. If you, if you could give yourself some advice, uh, the dirty friends version of, of Leslie trying to work some advice from yourself today, what would it be? Just in general? Mm Mm-hmm. Or on acting specifically or, or on how to approach. Oh man, acting was so rough. Um, (laughs) say that it's a, it's an absolute marathon and not a sprint. I mean, I got to LA and within six months I thought I should have been discovered and somebody should have seen me in my waiter uniform and been like that girl. It's very Mm -hmm. la la land in that sense that I was like, somebody should see all of my spirit and see all of my amazingness and my talent and the hard work I've put in since I was 18 years old to get to this point and they should hire me. And I I was just, I think a little bit of ignorance is, is bliss, but I definitely was very ignorant to think that that would be how things would go. But when you come to LA and you just have, you think you have an idea, but you really have no idea how it's going to be. And you know, I, I spent seven years trying to do on-camera work, and it was exhausting, to say the least, yeah. and not very satisfying at the end of the day, if I'm being honest. It just, you you leave the set, whether you're doing acting or I was doing a lot of hosting, and you leave the set and go home, and you're like, wow, that was a rush. Like, I almost have a headache because that was such a rush. But then you don't get to see anything through. You just have to wait for a long time until the product comes out, and it's not like you're as integral a part of the team as you think that you're going to be. And I think that was somebody, I don't remember who said this, but 
somebody told me one time, when you're an actor, you're the least important person on set. Mm. And I thought that was so interesting because now that I'm a director, it's almost true in the sense that if, if it's not me acting in that role, it's somebody else. So all these people around me making this thing, you think they're, you're special and they're doing all this for you. But if it wasn't you, it'd just be somebody else. Right. So they're really all just doing their job, <laughs> but they all get to be a lot more involved in the birth of it. And then the post-production element all the way through. And when you're acting or hosting, you kind of show up on your time and you leave on your time. And it's almost like I didn't want the door to shut. I was kind of like, bye, bye, bye. But I want to see the more. I want to see what's going on when right. I leave. Right. And yeah, it's al- it's almost counterintuitive, right? Like, like I think most people would say, oh, the star of the film is the most important person in the film. So to the listeners, it's like, really, you know, that is a counterintuitive take. And I think it's probably pretty accurate. Yeah. I think that I don't think anyone, I, I wouldn't say one person is the most important because then I wouldn't be a good director because how could I do it all by myself? I, so I don't, I don't think any one person is the most important necessarily. I just think the actor doesn't have as much say as they think mm. that they might, but they're the face. You can't yeah. do it without them. And that's why people in the Midwest or people who aren't in this industry, like you said, would think the actor is the most important person. Yeah. And, and to me and Nick's experience, the bigger the name, the more power they have. So that's generally, totally, um, and the better contract they get as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, um, you started out, you came to, to LA, you, you really were going for this entertainment anchor. It was like a, you'd found a niche where you're like, okay, well I can come out and be, and, and you're very good at it, by the way, at, at, at sort of presenting as an anchor. I noticed that when you did, uh, you played that, that role in wild man, uh, the feature film wild man. And I was like, it's not the word she's just saying. It's like how she's sitting. It's how her eyes are focused. Like, she's done this before. And then I found out that's kind of what you had done for seven years auditioning in LA. And I was curious in your opinion, what is the difference between that and acting? Is it a type of acting or is it something totally different? Oh, it's so different. I I teach it now. I'll teach it at second city Chicago. I created a hosting program there about five years ago. And so when I teach my students, you know, a lot of them are actors and, and they're in the improv game and they think this is just an additional thing to add to their resume for improv. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 it is so different. It is improv, but you have to be yourself. And actors find that very difficult. They don't want to be themselves. That's why they're actors. So when you're hosting, you have to be essentially the, like the best, brightest version of yourself. Because if you try to like if you try to do what I did in wild man, which is I was playing a role, I was acting like the anchors I see on TV. So that's why my posture was the way it was, or my focus was the way it was. It's because I was playing the role of an anchor. But when you're actually hosting and I'm in an interview and I'm interviewing somebody, you know, another thing to realize as a host, the same thing I just said with acting is that you are also the least important person. And one of my hosting teachers told me that because they said, it's not about you. It's about whomever you're interviewing or whatever piece of information you're trying to get across. If you think of something like e-news, you're really just there to drive the show and move it along because Mm -hmm. all people want to know about is the piece of gossip you're about to do or the person you're about to interview. They want to hear what they have to say. So you really kind of need to fade into the background in the sense that you're knowledgeable and you can keep it going and you're positive and people aren't annoyed by your presence (laughs) in a way. Like, 
some people get annoyed with, you know, certain people on Fox news or whatever it may be. And it's really, you kind of have to fade into the background and, and be a little unnoticeable. That's why I don't feel like hosts really get a lot of recognition unless you're Ryan Seacrest, you right. know, you mentioned Fox News and, and the reason mm-hmm. they are different. And I, I think a big part of their early and continued success, even though I have to be honest, I'm not a Fox News person, but I do recognize objectively. <laughs> I will speaking, not say anything. <laughs> I, 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 say amen. <laughs> <laughs> I do recognize objectively, though, that they've been successful because they flipped that paradigm on its head, which is that they made the shows about their hosts. And and, yes, and and so it was yeah. about their host maybe berating the person that's getting interviewed or or them one upping or being smarter than the person they're interviewing or maybe putting them in the hot seat, so to speak. Sure. And if you're a wolf blitzer too, I mean it's the same deal. If you're in maybe if you're in sports or politics, it might be a little bit more about you because people want to know like how knowledgeable you are on those topics and they want to trust you that you know you're you've done your your journalism background, but when you're doing entertainment reporting, it's literally like, do I enjoy listening to that person while I'm washing dishes in the kitchen? And that my, you know, good morning America is on in the background. I mean, that's what I try to tell my students that you have to remember. It's not so much about you being this huge, like RuPaul type personality, because that's RuPaul's brand. It's more, if you want to just move a show along, you have to fade into the background a little bit. And let yeah. the inter- interview subject be the focus. Yeah, I, and I think it's really true with this format too. Podcasting, there's, there's, it really gets frustrating for me personally when I listen to podcasts where the host interjects, but interjects with things that bring that don't bring the story forward or don't bring the interview forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of don't mind an interjection as long as the person interviewing is interesting when they do interject. Uh, but when they just interject with maybe too much laughter or a lot of a hums or, uh, or don't, or just say things for filler, I'm really cognizant of that. Uh, and I'm sure I've done it a uh, hundred times, but each week I try to get a little bit better at being interesting when I'm talking. Um, because, but you did, but, but, but yeah, you did ask about the difference in acting and I feel like I didn't answer that question. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I got I, off topic. No, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say that, yeah, hosting, you have to be yourself and you have to, you have to be very, not the acting, you don't have to be prepared, but you have to be prepared to know about somebody else. In that sense, you have to be like super prepared to know about who you're interviewing. And then with acting, you have to be super prepared on your character and who Mm -hmm. you are going to become. So it's almost like you're shifting energy to somebody else when you're hosting and when you're acting, you're shifting all the energy to you and then to your partner. So it's just all the preparation is just very different for the two mediums. Yeah. It's interesting because I think I thought of this question to ask you in particular, not only because of your background, it's very unique, but also because you hear a lot of times in acting classes to be a great actor, you have to listen, but then you kind of hear the same thing in interviewing and journalism, which is kind of my background, which is and yours as well, which is okay to be a great interviewer, to be a great journalist, you have to listen. So yes. I was wondering if they were very similar in that way, but you're saying where they differ is just the energy you place on the work itself. Yeah. I think when I, I do agree, yes, you, you should listen. That's a big thing when you're interviewing, but if you're just delivering a, what we call like a stand up piece, which you're, where you're introducing something like up next, we're going to have Emma Stone on the show, you know, then you're kind of just putting all the, all the energy into 
yourself. Like I need to be energetic to toss this to the commercial for, to, to get the audience energized on what's coming up next. And I think that with acting, everything is so much more internalized about who your character is becoming and how your character is relating to the next person. And, and hosting, it's like you're, everybody's just being themselves. So you're not like trying to be like, okay, am I, you know, a super quiet host today? Am I a super energetic host? No, you're just yourself. You don't really have to think about being a character. And that person who you're interviewing is not being a character. Mm-hmm. They're themselves. So. Yeah, it's really nuanced. And um, I appreciate you going into detail to break that down uh, a, a little bit. Um, yeah. You are a, a true multi-hyphenate. You have um, as many credits almost uh, in acting as you do producing. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you're a writer, you're a director, you're an idea machine. Um, have, what challenges, and talk to us about what challenges being all those different things um, you know, what challenges jump up and, and occur on a regular basis? And, and, and also I just love to hear, have you ever considered and, and, and what thoughts have gone through your mind about just saying, okay, going forward, I'm just going to be a director or going forward. I'm just going to write or just going to produce. Has that thought ever crossed your mind? Oh yeah. Every day, <laughs> all the time. When I was hosting, I only wanted to be a host. I didn't want nothing else was crossing my focus. It, it, didn't happen. And I think it's because I was told I was good at it. Mm-hmm. And when you're told you're good at something, which you're mostly told you're bad at things in this business, you're rejected a lot. So I think when I was told I was really good at it, I was like, well, I should do that because of why I'm good at it. It's easy, right? If you're good at it. Well, it wasn't easy. It was hard because I was conflicted because I had other interests, but I, I tried to just be laser focused on that for a really long time. And coming out of a college where I studied TV and film, I came out of college only being like, well, I just want to be in front of the camera. Like, cool. I learned all those things, but none of that really stuck with me as much as when I was in front of the camera. So then pursuing something in front of the camera and then realizing seven, eight years later, wait, this isn't fulfilling me, but I still love it. Mm-hmm. So how do I, how do I move forward and still be true to something I just spent almost a decade working toward? And that's really where Nashville came in. And when I left LA to go to Nashville, I was very burnout. And I thought a smaller region or community would be maybe something where I could figure those things out, those questions out. So when I moved to Nashville, I started as a PA and a casting assistant on a feature film called Chasing Ghosts, starring Tim Meadows. And that experience is kind of what made me observe the other things like producing and writing and directing. And I was like, oh, what does that person do? What does that person do? And but producing is where I went to first because once again, I was good at it mm-hmm. and I was organized and I thought that's another easy thing. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. So I followed that through, created a series called gratuity, not included back in the day with my best friend from college, brought that up again. And I was like, I'm going to raise money and produce this and see how I like producing. Mm-hmm. Well, I started in it too because of my ego and I was like, well, I have to be in it because I won't matter if I'm not in it. Oh, I see. That's interesting. So I did that with my now husband and our partner, Joey Von Hager, who's a wonderful human. Joey Bags. <laughs> Joey. And so the three of us did that together and I still wasn't satisfied. Something was still not working for me. 
And it, it really wasn't until you and Chris Winty came along and offered me this opportunity to direct Mr. Johnson's Julius Caesar. And I honestly just was like, sure. I didn't have any plans to direct. That wasn't anything I was going after. Like you said, I was still kind of figuring out all these things I like to do and, you know, kind of being tortured by it, so to speak. And then when I directed, I had multiple people on the crew come up to me and be like, okay, you should kind of be doing this. Like, this is, <laughs> you're really good. And I'm like, really? I just kind of blacked out all day. Like, I don't remember <laughs> what happened. <laughs> I just did it. But that's when I realized that I was so immersed in it and so happy and joyous that I wasn't thinking. And all these other things I'd been doing, I'd been thinking so hard about them. And so hard, like, is this for me? Is this not for me? And being on camera was so hard because as a woman, you just pick yourself apart and you get these auditions where you're the young wife and the girlfriend. And you really just didn't have, in Nashville at least, there wasn't any roles that I was just so wanted to dive into. And I think a part of that was the the opportunities that were there. And the other part was I just didn't really like myself when I was acting. I really picked myself apart and I was really mean to myself, you know, about physical appearance and my God, I sounded like that. Like my arm looks fat. I mean, it's ridiculous. So when I was directing, I was immersed. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, I don't want to do anything else. I want to direct. And the hosting stuff was like, you know, I heard, I'd heard Ted Welch's podcast with you and he said, it's, um, oh no, this was, this isn't Ted said something else. I was listening to Bo Burnham on a podcast. Bo Burnham just directed the film eighth grade and, mm -hmm. uh, I'm a huge fan. A24. Yep. Yeah. And, um, he said something about how comedy for him stand up is like a, an old lover. It's like a bad ex lover that you just <laughs> keep coming back to. And you're two months into being back with, with it. And you're like, Oh God, I know better. What am I doing? Right. And that's kind of how hosting and, and acting was for me after I found, you know, found directing. It was like, but, but let me go back to this a few times. Let me put myself in this thing. Let me go teach a class in hosting just because let me just see if it's still there and if I still like it. And yeah. so with hosting, I've found a balance to, I host once a week for after buzz TV and I absolutely love it it's a joy, but I don't, I'm not pursuing it as a career. I'm not trying to make money at it so I can enjoy it. Right. <laughs> I can right. immerse myself in it and I can lead the show and research the shows. And I come at it from a director's point of view. I talk a lot about the shots in these shows that I cover and the directors and the brains behind the show. And that's the unique perspective I bring to hosting now, but it's all from a directing point of view. So I have chosen to only, I don't audition anymore. I don't act anymore. I don't, I only produce if I have to, cause I'm a control freak anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it, it took a very, very long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Cause I think that touches on, there's so much to dig into by the way, with what you just said. Um, yeah. But, but, but I do want to, so the next question I was really going to ask, um, it, um, or the next question I was going to ask really does pertain to what you just said there at the end, which is, you know, on this, on this podcast, in these conversations, we try to sort of tease out um, uh, things that help, you know, new creatives, maybe coming right out of film school, um, skip over some of these mistakes, business creatively, 
So if you were to talk and mentor or teach, which I know you already do, uh, someone coming right out of film school that couldn't decide or, or, or was good at so many things, I mean, would you tell them to do be a jack of all trades or would you tell them to pick the one you love the most? How would you advise them? I would tell them to go after one thing first. I think for me, I, I was in Nashville and I think that you can attest to this, that you kind of have to do a little bit of everything in Nashville. You know, that's, that's the blessing and the curse That's fair. is that you, is that you get to, to do be a jack of all trades. But then I think that that sometimes confuses you because you're like, well, I'm getting work as an AC, but I really want to be a director. What do I do? And I have friends that have that problem. So, you know, I have, I have a lot of young people who worked on my films in Nashville who I, you know, still call me for advice, which is awesome. I love being a mentor. And what I tell them is I'm like, you have to figure out what you don't want to do. So I say, make something as whatever you want, make something as a producer, make something as a director, make something as the thing that sticks out to you the most, and then see how you feel making that thing. So you have to go and do it. Cause if you just sit, sit around and YouTube and read and you're, you're going to get overwhelmed. You have to be on, on the set in the moment. And that's how I figured out I wanted to be a director. And I would have never known that. I think I would have kept producing until that stroke of luck that Chris Winty and you offered me came about and that might've never come about. Right. So I think that, if a student says, well, I want to be a director, I say, then go direct something. I don't care if it's for $500, go actually do it. Be on set, feel those pressures. And can you handle those pressures? Do you want to handle those pressures? Or when you come home, are you just so I'll never do that again. And then move on to the next. If you're like, I'm still curious. I had a good time, but it was really challenging. Do it one more time. So I would just say, go after one thing and do it and don't feel like you're wasting your time. If it doesn't work out in the end, you, at least, you know, what then you don't want to do that. That's how I figured out. I didn't want to produce anymore. I was like, this sucks. (laughs) I hate this. (laughs) I do not feel like myself. I'm resenting it. I don't want to do it anymore, but I didn't know that until I did it. Yeah. So, so yeah. So the advice essentially is pragmatically speaking, go out, do as much as you can, and then really observe and monitor how you feel after it's done. And as you have to wake up each morning and keep doing it. And until you figure out what that one thing is, that's, that's, uh, that's powerful stuff. I think that's, that's exactly, uh, right as well. Um, we talked about how hardworking you are and, um, but, but that can be overused as kind of a broad term. I think more specifically with you, it's that you're prepared um, just about better than anyone uh, I've seen. And you, uh, you are sometimes you teeter on being overprepared. I'm curious, does that cause problems for you? And, and or what problems does it uh, cause for you when you get thrown curveballs on set that seem to be, inevitable in every set. I mean, you can be, I mean, I am a crazy preparer. I'm very 
OCD, even on this film I'm about to do, I was having the production designer take pictures of everything she was buying so I could say yes or no. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I just can't, I don't want to show up and not know what I'm working with in any capacity, wardrobe, makeup, set design, anything. Um, I think that there's just certain things you cannot prepare for. I mean, there are certain fires that will pop up, you know, you run out of batteries or SD cards or whatever it may be. And you just have to be, I think I'm prepared to handle those things because I was a producer Mm -hmm. and I know not to panic. And I also know I'm not doing brain surgery and no one's going to die. If we don't get this shot, I know there's always a plan B. And, you know, I will say that's just something Joey's really good at. And why I love being on set with Joey is that he's like, he always has a plan and that's what makes him a good AD. That's what makes him a good director he's nothing is ever not doable. So Mm -hmm. when we're at the end of the day and we didn't get three shots, then it's immediately like, give me a five minute brainstorming session with my AD and my DP and let's figure it out. Can we, can we wake up super early tomorrow and come get the establishing shot? Can we ask the homeowner? Can we come back in two days when we have the equipment still and get that one thing that we missed? It's, it's never, like I said, it's not brain surgery. No one's going to die. But does We're that? Good. But did that take learning on your part to, oh, yeah. as as a control freak uh, that you are, uh, <laughs> yes. to to not be able to control every element of what's going to go wrong? Oh yeah, you just have to know that there's always going to be like a ten percent of the pie. If you're looking at like a pie chart of how things are going to go, there's always going to be that ten percent that's not going to go your way, mm-hmm. and that you just have to be okay with that. And even in this movie I'm about to do, we didn't get like a handful of things I wanted for the set. And I had to just be like, it's not the end of the world. We're going to do it. And I couldn't think of more creative shots to do in the scene where it's just five minutes of talking. And then I, I, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm driving home from the gym yesterday. I'm like, Oh my God, mirrors, let's use mirrors. That's something we can use. That's cheap and easy. We don't have to ruin this person's walls to do. Mm-hmm. And we can get some really cool shots like in the movie widows that I just saw, which is where I got the idea. And I was like, we can do really cool things with mirrors. So it's just, constantly thinking of how to solve the problem and knowing that it's going to happen, not being naive to like, it's not going to happen. Like there's always something, there's always something. And as an artist, you, it's very hard because you have a vision and you want to accomplish that vision. And sometimes it's, it's just not within your income or your budget to achieve. And some of those things you have to let go for the bigger picture for the end product. Yeah. That's, and that's practical and, and pragmatic too. And, and, um, I think if someone took that advice, they would probably, that would probably sort of leak a little bit into their everyday life and maybe even help them in their relationships. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Take bit. yeah. So, so right now you've, you've, you've done all, you have this great background and have had so much experience and, um, so much to offer the the audience and now you work on after buzz tv and that was created by maria menounos correct yes and so there are all these people um that you've probably looked up to wanted to emulate and i'm curious these days is it someone like maria that you want to emulate or are there other people that you've always looked up to and wanted to emulate um and if so who are they and and what do they do that makes them stand apart is this just in hosting or no, just in your life. Yeah. Like, I guess I'm, I guess I could have asked it better. Um, I would say who are the people that you grew up wanting to emulate their careers and, and what do they do that stands apart? And 
as a part two, has that gone away now that you've focused on hosting it after Buzz TV to where you really just want to emulate someone like Maria? I mean, I've always thought Maria was a, is a wonderful host and she's just a wonderful human. Um, and she's so much more than a host, you know, obviously to me now, but, um, I, I grew up loving Diane Sawyer. If I'm going to go like deep journalist, <laughs> I mm-hmm. loved her. She was very soothing to me. And then I always loved Kelly Ripa. That was when people were like, were like, what's a host? Like they didn't understood what I was meaning by that. I'd say, Oh, like Kelly Ripa or Ryan Seacrest. And those were always two that I thought were just masters at their work. And so I was like, what a great life they have that they get to meet all these amazing people and they're so prepared and just they always get to look really good too I was like man I want all of Kelly Ripa's wardrobe and what a charm life she has doing that job so I would say those were in hosting people that I looked up to um always and then as far as directing goes you know since I came in late to the directing game I really, I loved Dazed and Confused growing up. I thought that was <laughs> one of the best movies I'd still to this day that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge Richard Linklater fan. And I think that he has this nostalgia factor that he just masters that I, I just think that the set pieces in Dazed and Confused must've been not only fun, but just a, such a challenge to work with. And it's a time period piece. So you have all these actors who at the time were not big names He's very true to Texas, and I really just think that's super cool that he he does a lot of stories that come out of Texas. And, you know, Boyhood was such a feat, and I just think he has this, like, this thing with nostalgia and making audiences feel. And, you know, I love Ethan Hawke, so, of course, anything with Ethan Hawke. And, you know, <laughs> get the, before, the Before Midnight, Before Sunset series, and, I mean, it's masterful dialogue too. And just two people talking. And I know that's something Ted Welch is really into and he loves that. And I, and I think that Richard Linklater is the master at that, at just two people talking amongst these amazing set pieces. And, and so I, I look up to him a lot and, um, I just saw Roma. I don't know if you've seen that movie yet. Oh, it's on the list. I haven't seen it yet. I I know that you're really big on that. I think you, Uh, did you tweet about that? My gosh. Tweeted or put something on Instagram about that there's maybe like five movies this year that I've even like taken the time to make any sort of a social media post about. And Roma was something that I could have, I could have lived in that movie. I mean that it'll be one of the best movies I think of our lifetime. And Alfonso Cuaron has this, this way with the camera that you're just like, you're just living in it. You're living in that world. And I could have lived in that world in that town in 1971 in Mexico for like three more hours. And it's not that anybody was doing anything so, amazing. It's just, you know, it's about a housekeeper and her, and her story. And I just thought that was such a unique perspective to tell it from that hasn't really been done. And so I'm now, you know, following so many people like him and, you know, Damien Chazelle's career I'm following. And, you know, you have Tamara Jenkins who just directed private life on Netflix, which I thought was fantastic. And now I'm like, what's she going to do next? So now I just find myself following 15 directors and seeing their individuality. And it's just so cool to see how all their films tie into one another and how individual all of their films are, which gives me hope because I struggle with like, do I have to do one thing? Do I have to be a dark comedy director? Do I have to be a commercial director? You know, and then you see all these people, all these 
now directors just doing kind of whatever stories they want to tell, but there's still a through line of their style and their stamp. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you have sufficiently hyped me up for Roma, so I will make sure I get that done this week. Ah, and so and wonderful. yeah, and watch that. And um, you mentioned your 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 sort of style, your proclivity for dark comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, the latest thing I saw that you made, I think, uh, were two films, but uh, one of them was a short named Downline, mm-hmm. and it had elements of dark comedy. But it also had some elements where you could feel that it could turn towards like a single white female sort of vibe. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. If you made that into a feature, which way do you think you would go with that? Uh, and, and before you answer, let me give the audience some context. So this this short film, which I think could be a feature, um, it is about uh, how our protagonist gets sucked in to a multi-marketing or multi-level marketing, uh, scheme. Mm-hmm. And, um, there comes a point in the film where it starts to feel a bit like a cult. And I think you played it for comedy, but I thought, Ooh, that could have went either way depending on what she wanted. So yeah, talk to us a little bit about that film and, and, if you made a feature, would you go that sort of creepier thriller route or would you stay with the dark comedy? Um, that that's a hard one because you can do so many things with that topic. And I think as much as I, I do want to do a thriller at some point, I'm a big true crime fan and, um, I'm kind of obsessed with all those podcasts and, and I think it would be interesting to do, you know, Josh Moody actually, who shot that film, he had a, a suggestion to do it almost as like a get out, and right. I, and I really, and I really like that. I do. And I think that Josh Moody should actually do that because I think he'd be great at it. But, um, I think I would go much more. The thing with multi-level marketing is that I have a lot of friends who do it and it's a very fine line because mm-hmm. I don't, I respect them for doing it and having their career with it. But I also, there's this whole other side to it. That's, you know, people are really bothersome and people really bug the crap out of you to sell this stuff. And it gets, you know, it gets very cultish where they're like, well, if you're not going to keep your sales up, then, you know, we're going to kick you out and we're going to shame you. And, you know, I, I have a whole like Reddit thread that's like anti multi-level marketing and it's fascinating if you ever want to get on it, but Mm -hmm. these people definitely don't give up. They're very persistent. So I think I would go a little bit more in the direction of telling more of a a character driven story where the multi-level marketing isn't necessarily a story. It's more of the backdrop of what's going on and tell a little bit more intimate story about somebody who gets involved with this, whether it's from the villain's point of view or from the protagonist's point of view. Cause I think that I'm very mixed about it. I'm very supportive of my friends who do it and I want them to succeed. But then I also have this, like, I think it's annoying <laughs> factor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think I would want to be a little bit more neutral in the take of not bashing multi-level marketing and not being like, it's only one way. Cause I know people who are successful and find a great community within it, but then there's the flip side of the coin where it is kind of dark. It can be kind of dark and threatening in a way. So yeah. I think I would like to show more both sides of the coin than just one. Right. And, and you're right there. It's, it's so interesting. Um, I'm, I have a connection to it as well. You know, my mother actually, uh, was burned out being a nurse when I was a child and she started doing, um, 
I guess, see, at the time, the term wasn't there. It wasn't called multi-level marketing, but th- there were three big players uh, when I was a child, and it was Avon, mm-hmm. uh, um, Mary, Kay. Mary Kay, um, mm-hmm. and there's one other, and I'm not thinking of it, but there was one outlier one, and that's the one my, my mom did, and it was called Princess House, and Princess House was well, like... Never heard of that. Yeah, exactly. See, that's what I mean. They kind of sit outside of the, of this, of the, of the uh, norm. And the way it worked is that, you know, you would put on these little parties at people's house and they would then buy some of the plateware, dishware, cookware that Mm -hmm. you showed off at the party. And so I knew that it was, it was like, "Hmm, that's an interesting job to have. She really enjoyed it. She was successful at it. So that's, that's why I'm torn because it, I, I knew what it was, um, right. as sort of multi-level marketing started taking off and I knew, uh, that I didn't want to do it, <laughs> but mm-hmm. at the same time through her success in it, I mean, I traveled all around the country with, with my family. Um, there's like big upsides. My mom was happy doing it. So, um, exactly. yeah, exactly. So there are two sides uh, of, of that coin for sure. I would, I would love to see that, uh, play out, uh, um, if that ever can happen, which, which kind of is a nice segue into, um, your production company, uh, gold screen productions. What are your goals for that? Um, in the next five years? Well, gold screen pictures was really started by Joey and Wes. Um, and I was kind of the third element that they brought in because they really needed somebody to be more on the producing side of things. And just to, just to interject for clarity, um, Wes is Wes Powers, which is your yeah. husband and yes. partner in Goldscreen, and then Joey Von Hager, who's a co-founder of Goldscreen Productions. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yes. So I think that it's now that Wes and I are in Los Angeles and Joey's in Nashville, it, it definitely is a little hairy because, you know, Joey just did a 48-hour film where he did it under the Goldscreen Pictures umbrella, but Wes and I weren't there, you know, to help with it. You know, of course, we... Hmm read the script and, you know, we're encouraging all the way, you know, we want Joey to do projects just as much as he wants us to do projects. And we don't always have to do all of them together. Um, and then we did drafted together, which was the last short film that we all shot earlier this year. And so that's under the gold screen umbrella. But as far as its future, honestly, we don't really know now that we're in two different locations. It's, it's difficult because I think we're all three at very different places in our lives in our careers than we were five years ago when this came together. So I think it, I think going forward, I don't know if it's going to be something that just Joey takes and runs in Nashville and it stays kind of a Nashville thing. And anything we go and shoot there is under the gold screen umbrella because we can all three be together. Or if it's, you know, something that might just fizzle out, we don't really know. It's, it's been definitely a a point of contention and Joey's actually going to be here next weekend. So we're going to, um, be talking about that. So that's great. I'll keep yeah. my ear to the ground on that. And, uh, I yeah. owe Joey like two coffee dates and a lunch. Uh, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure he thinks I'm a total flake at this point, oh, but, yeah. but we did have lunch one time together and it was the most fun time. Uh, we ate Brussels sprouts and talked about Seinfeld for 45 minutes. Oh, oh yeah. His favorite uh, thing. <laughs> <laughs> we, we literally just talked about Seinfeld episodes and um, the genius of that show for a really long time. And we might have talked film for like 10 minutes. Um, so, yeah, we got to do it. We got to do a round two. I think I also went out with him one time after a festival screening and uh, we were in a big group and we we're all having beers 
Um, but I think he was in an, in an uh, antagonistic mood that night for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> but, oh, but, no. but, but I got exactly. But I got to um, I got to get back with him uh, for sure. Um, you have 48 total credits. Oh, wow. Uh, spanning uh-huh. acting, writing, directing, producing, cast directing. You have you have such a, a wealth of experience. So I'm going to do this question differently than I normally do it and then let you sort of pick the concentration. But if you had one month to teach someone how to do the concentration that you pick, what are the first three things you would teach them? So you can pick hosting, directing, acting, whatever. Well, since I am focusing on directing now, I'm going to go with directing. So I have one month to teach them. And what was, what was the question then? What three things would I teach them? Um, yep. What What are the first three things you would teach them if you only had one month to make them competent for, let's say, a job they got? Oh, wow. Uh, well, for directing, first of all, I would say it, it starts with the story. So if they already have a script, then I would say you need to analyze that script. You need to analyze it in a way that you know where your characters are at every moment and you know what they're what their relationship is to one another. And that's a lot very similar to acting. Um, what you would teach an actor is and how I learned in both aspects. And I think what made me a good director is because I was an actor and I can learn, okay, what, what happened right before this moment? So where were your characters right before the scene even started? Cause you don't want them going into anything cold. So what happened, you know, where were they outside before they came in? Were they on a run? Like, what were they feeling? you know, they drive and then park their car and then get out and run in the house. Like, I mean, every little detail of what happens before each scene. So just really starting with the story. And if you don't have a story and you want to write your own story, then that's a whole other, that's a whole other piece of advice that would be for a writer. But right. I'd say the first thing I would teach is just to be so immersed in your script know when your character sits down, when they stand up, you know, be just like visualizing every scene in your head. Do they turn their back when they're talking to them? Do you want them to embrace, you know, if they're crying, what kind of crying is it? Are they hysterical? Is it one tear? Just knowing exactly what your characters are doing in every scene. So that would be the first thing. It starts with the story always. So what are your characters doing? The second thing is how to talk to your actors. Cause that's a big, big deal. Some directors call themselves actor directors, some are more visual, technical directors. You kind of have to be both <laughs> if you're going to mm-hmm. be good. Yeah. Um, so I think if if you want to learn how to talk to actors, you take an acting class. And it's funny because I listened to an interview on NPR with Jonah Hill recently because he just directed his first film, Mid-90s, which is excellent as well. And um, he said that he originally wanted to be a director, and his friend told him he wasn't good at talking to actors. Mm-hmm. So they told him he needed to take an acting class. Well, when he took the acting class, he was so good at acting but he just went with that for like 12 years. <laughs> so I think as a director, you should take an acting class. You should hear how they communicate with their teacher, how they communicate with each other and how they like to be spoken to. Not every actor likes to be directed the same way. Mm-hmm. Certain directors like to be taken out of the room and whispered to and coddled in that sense. Other actors are, are more quick to the beat like Ted. Ted Welch is just, he'll just, I'll just say like three words. He's like, got it. Okay. I'm doing this one for you. And he'll, <laughs> he just know because he's just so good. And not that other actors aren't good, but some like to be really taken to a private room and get back into character, have the director there as almost like their cheerleader. 
-hmm. like that take was great. I want you to do this differently. And I'm not going to tell the other actor you're even coming in the room doing this because I want them to be genuinely surprised. And I want that reaction to be genuine. So I say, take an acting class. And then I say, lastly, watch everything you can on YouTube or read everything you can on cinematography. Mm. What shots do you like? What do you even like? And that has taken me a long time to figure out. I like, I like wide shots. I don't like a ton of close-ups. I like a little bit of movement and I like symmetry. So mm. as long as all those elements are there for me, then I can make anything work. But if you don't know what you like, if you're like, oh, I'm just going to shoot it all mockumentary and everything is going to look like The Office. Well, it's like, okay, <laughs> but The <laughs> Office did that so well. What are you going to do to make it different? Or, you know, if you like a lot of steady cam movements, are you going to overdo it? Like there's a balance. And are you just doing that because you think it's interesting? Yeah. You just want the camera to be shaky because it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Or is that what best serves the story going back to step one and what your actors are doing in your scenes? Yeah. So you nailed it because that's the number one mistake uh, first time directors make is they have all these tricks that they've learned. And a lot of times they're new tricks and they want to try them out and they want to put all those shots in one story, whether the story needs it or not. Yep. And, and it doesn't. And, and then you end up sort of uh, tearing apart your story because of that and or not telling the story in a way where the audience can follow it, you know, the best because you decided to, you know, throw in. That 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 super zoom, super close up <laughs> shot, or you tried to tried to have that Aronofsky shot in there. Um, yeah, and when but, I shot Downline, I had I, I wanted it to be relatively standard because I wanted it as an homage almost to like Legally Blonde and Devil Wears Prada and those kind of shiny movies because it was about such a shiny thing of makeup and ego and you know everything was bright and mm-hmm. I wanted it that way on purpose. I didn't want anything shot wise, it was super crazy. Cause I wanted it as more of, you know, those really glossy movies, those chick yeah. flicks. Yeah. Yeah. For, for sure. Um, I'd like to go into an area that you could just, <laughs> oh, you could just tell, you can just tell me if, um, if you want to go into this and talk to it a little bit, but I actually thought it was funny and that it had real promise. So a little bit of a curveball here. But mm-hmm. how did you, how did you get involved in the web series or series digits? And, speci- oh, and, 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 and specifically the episodes, the klutz and the penis game. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I haven't talked about this in years. I can't even believe you're bringing this up. Um, digits. So in the midst of my hosting career. I was maybe, this is maybe like eight years ago or so. I saw a breakdown on Actors Access, which is a site that you can find acting jobs on or mm-hmm. hosting jobs on. Yep. And I, you had to send in like a video audition for this series called Digits. And the first season was hosted by, I think like a, a British male model or something. It was kind of really off, off the cuff and goofy and, it's just kind of a, almost like a sketch comedy show where you're just going to random places and playing these games, trying to get somebody's phone number. So that was the premise of the show. And so I was like, Oh my God, this would be so fun. I'm good at improv, blah, blah, blah. So I put this, this audition tape together where I hiked Runyon Canyon, which is a big hiking trail here in Los Angeles. <laughs> and I was yeah. living here in my twenties and I did that with my friend, Matt, my, 
my gorgeous friend, Matt back in the day. And I hiked the mountain. And then at the top of the mountain, I asked him to take a picture of me in front of the Hollywood sign. And then that's how I got his digits. <laughs> so I created this, I created that scene for my audition tape and apparently right. they loved it and they hired me. And I thought this was my big break in hosting. Oh my God. I cried to my mom. I was so excited. They were paying me such good money and flying me to New York. I got a per diem. I, I just could not have been, I was over the moon. So mm. I went to New York and filmed it for a few days. And, and let me, let me jump in for a little context for the audience. So the premise of digits is that Leslie is mm-hmm. approaching people, men, and she's going to try to do a series of things that are abnormal and see if she can still get the digits or get them to ask her for her phone number, essentially. So, okay. Now with that context, sorry, go ahead. Yes. Yes. So So I was was in New York. I filmed for a few days. I had a co-host who did his own episodes. I cannot remember his name because this was a million years ago, but he was He was great. And so he did his own as like the male trying to get females to ask for his number. And then I did it as the female trying to get males to ask for my number. So I guess you're more successful. (laughs) It was all staged and scripted. So we were both successful. Okay. Okay. But I had the most fun. And I mean, it was freezing. It was like Christmas time in New York. It was the, I got there the day of the Christmas tree lighting and I always wanted to see that. So I thought that was a really kismet like opportunity for me, but I, I loved it. I had the most fun. They were a great crew. And then they didn't ask me to come back the next season. And they hired some like super tall and lanky model chick to do the next season. See the complex that comes in with women on camera. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why? What did I do wrong? But no, they were just like, you were awesome. We just wanted to switch it up. So actually yeah. Pierre talks about that, about having to be kind to yourself because you get these little nuanced sort of, um, sub blows to your ego all the time. Um, she, you know, she had to lead the entire film for all I will end. And, um, one of the things I told her and I've told a few people is don't read comments. Once this movie comes out, don't read the comments because you, you see where people's attention is and it's like, okay, you're commenting on parts of her body instead of her performance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like you're deleted, right? Like stop. Um, <laughs> but the same happens with directing too, in the sense that I don't beat myself up as much about directing, but I definitely constantly feel new at it. I constantly mm-hmm. feel I have so much to learn and so much yet to do. And am I going to be any good at it? You know, and that is, there's just a fear in, in all of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you want to be great. You want to be great at all, everything you do. Here, here's the mistake the digits people made with you <laughs> because I, I did I, in my research to, for this interview, I watched all those episodes and I watched a oh ton of, I watched, it, I watched all your stuff basically, uh, oh. which I had kind of already done anyway. But, oh um, <laughs> I know the mistake they made is that they thought digits was a dating show, but it's actually a comedic show Yeah, and you are yeah. so much funnier than the person they replaced you with. Well, thank you. Like, it so they tried to make it to a dating show, but it, part of the charm of the show. Like I'm laughing out loud um, because <laughs> on the, on the, the clutch episode, the uh, just like when you elbowed that guy in the back, <laughs> that made me laugh out loud because it was so obvious that you were, that you were trying to be clumsy. And it was like, 
like, oh my gosh, I wonder, you know, cause we don't know as the viewer that, that it's all scripted. Right. So we're like, mm-hmm. oh shit, like this guy, like, what's he going to do now? Because she, you know, um, yeah. she's really pushing him. And then your facial expressions are always comedic and, and, um, maybe with a sprinkling of sexy. Right. Uh, so it seems that's what I was going for. I right. nailed it. <laughs> yeah. You nailed it. So, so go watch digits on Vimeo and laugh. And, and some of the stuff that you just said off the cuff was really funny. Like you just went on a, a, a penis diatribe on the, on the penis game episode that was hilarious as well. <laughs> and well, that was all improv. The only scripted part is that those are actors. Right. So. Right. I could totally tell that you were just being funny. Like you were just trying to be you and be off the cuff. And that was the, the thing that they're not necessarily going to get by casting a model, for example. I know. I uh, know. Unless that model is Kate Upton and then she would be very funny and yes. also pretty. We like Kate. <laughs> So, wow, this has been a blast. This is, um, uh, so much more than I, than, uh, I could ask for. Um, and, and you've been so, so generous with your time as you always are. Can you tell everybody where to find you on social media and on the internet? On Instagram, which is where I am mostly. I am at LM powers one five. On Twitter, it's Leslie Powers15. And then um, my website is just LesliePowers.com. And that's L E S L E Y. That's perfect. And they can see you on After Buzz TV. And where can they find yeah. you there? Um, I am doing part three of the show Homecoming tomorrow at eight o'clock. Uh, that is Pacific time. And um, that will be our last show for, uh, we did three parts for that show, Homecoming, which is a thriller on Amazon starring Julia Roberts. It's excellent. Directed by Sam Esmel, same creator as Mr. Robot. So if you're into that. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know what my next show is going to be because we're about to go on a holiday. So gotcha. you'll most likely find me on something next next year. I kind of bounce from show to show. And then where can they see it? Um, you can go on YouTube and just type in After Buzz TV Dramas mm-hmm. and you'll find the show homecoming right there. And, uh, we are also on po- every podcast network. So iTunes, you can listen to us in your car. If you don't want to watch us on YouTube, I definitely recommend that you watch it on YouTube. That's, um, mm-hmm. to me, that's, that's what I did. It's a, it's a really good, really well put together show. Uh, but yeah, if you, if you uh, only have time in the car, which if you're a parent then you know what that's all about, you, you definitely have <laughs> yeah. time in the car. Uh, then do it that way, but definitely support Leslie, all her efforts. She's a, a hard worker. She's funny. She's, um, a, a multi hyphenate and, um, and it's going to be great to have everyone not just support you, but follow your journey and your path going forward. So, uh, I'll end with this, uh, with all your experience, do you have any parting thoughts? One thing you would say to all of our listeners? Well, I, I read this book, Big Magic, recently by Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And I recommend that book to all creatives. Um, it's about, you know, creative living without fear. And there's this one just tiny excerpt I'll say really quickly is that she has a whole chapter about your day job, which is something that a lot of artists struggle with is how to make a living while they're trying to be creative. And for me as a director, that's very difficult because I think I need to be directing all the time. And that's just not possible right now because it can't feed me and put a roof over my head. Mm-hmm. And she says to not put that kind of pressure on your, on your art. Don't put pressure on your art and to think that you're going to make your living off of your art sooner than it's meant to be is just to kind of be childish and don't be childish in thinking that take care of what you need to take care of and do not put 
undue pressure on your creative and on your art because it will only restrict you. So that really resonated with me to think of art as something lovely and wonderful that you want to nurture and not put so much pressure on it to make your living at this moment in time that it's just, you know, it's all a journey. So that's my parting advice. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's, um, that'll be impactful. And, uh, I will make sure that big magic shows up in our resource library on our website at bonsai.film forward slash resources, where everybody can go and get resources for free in exchange for your email address. That's all we charge is your email address. So that's uh, great. Thank you so much for that. Um, you are the absolute best. Um, I love talking to you. So uh, when I'm in LA next, I can't wait to get together. Wes is going to make yeah. us brunch and, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have yeah. coffee and, and talk shop. Sound good? Sounds great. Thank you for having me, Chris. Anytime. Talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative be engaged. And thank you for listening.